You are listening to audio from Summit Community Church. You can join us Sunday mornings at 10.30 a.m. on our YouTube channel at SCC Morganton. Good morning, Summit. Carly, thank you so much. Good morning, everybody. Glad to have you with us today to worship our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. As we're getting prepared to get into the message in just a moment, a quick shout out to our church body. Thank you for giving candy, bringing candy. Thank you for serving with us yesterday. It was cold yesterday. It was unbelievably cold, but God was gracious. God was good. It was a great outpouring of people, being a three-year hiatus with this event. We gave out all the treat bags. None were left. Tragedy of all tragedies, but a great thing. Candy's all out in the community. So we gave out in excess of 1,000 bags. That gives us an idea who was there. So thank you so much. Many people disappeared, and we're like, where did they go? They came, played a few games, and we saw the crowd dissipating. We're like, where are they at? And everybody says, well, they said they're going to the cars to warm up to wait on the Easter egg hunt. They came, played games, and went to their cars and warm up, and then came back for the actual hunt. So it was a cold day, but a blessing to be in our community about Mission Motown, loving God, loving others, period. Thank you for that, being a part of that with us. Second, thank you so much for your giving to Ukrainian crisis, the relief for the refugees in Poland through Baptist on Mission. You'll see on the screen here with me what we've get given to this process. Let me, let me break this down for us. We started off this thing with $5,000 out of the budget toward the Ukrainian relief effort in Poland through Baptist on Mission. So we did that. Then we set a challenge to the church for... Two weeks, saying, give above and beyond your tithe to this effort, and what you give, we will match. So in two weeks, you as a congregation gave $24,763.88, which is a huge praise to all of you. Thank you for giving that to help in the refugee crisis. Yeah, we matched that this past week for $25,236.12, means we gave we have given $55,000 to this relief effort in Poland through Baptist on Mission. So thank you for giving. We will give more. This is the start. And here's the greatest thing about this. The Baptist on Mission, guess how much again, that, that, how much that goes to the field? 100%. It all is now in process as of Wednesday to be on the field to help in Poland with the Ukrainian crisis. So thank you for giving. Thank you for loving. Thank you for serving as you do. We're in our wreck series today again, talking about lives out of Scripture whose lives were totally wrecked by the resurrection of Christ. Lives are radically changed by the power of that message of an empty tomb and the resurrected Christ. With each character, we see things that we must apply to our lives so that we also will be wrecked by the resurrection. And wrecked means their lives were totally radically changed by that message by that sighting, by that empty tomb, by that resurrected Lord. We want that for all of us. And here's why. Here's what I believe. The greatest testimony for Christ and salvation and Christianity is this, is changed lives of those who experienced the risen Lord. Today, as well as back then, the greatest testimony ever given about Christianity and Jesus and salvation is my changed life, your changed life, that gives evidence of what's happened by that empty tomb and a resurrected Christ. That's why we must pursue being resurrect, being wrecked by the resurrection of Christ. 
So far, we looked at Mary Magdalene. Mary is the first to arrive at the tomb in John's gospel. Mary goes and she comes face to face with the resurrected Christ at the tomb. Mary goes thinking she'll see a sealed tomb just to grieve. But what she encounters is who she thinks is a gardener, but it's Jesus. He calls her name, and Mary goes and tells. So wonderfully, graciously, just amazingly so, Mary becomes the first witness and eyewitness to the resurrection of Christ. Mary's life is radically changed by Jesus' resurrection. We looked at Peter last week. Peter was very unique. Peter had a different encounter. He needed a, a total restoration process in his life. He had totally rejected Christ. He had denied Christ in that denial. He had really betrayed himself, betrayed Christ. He needed restoration and healing. He had failed Christ miserably and failed himself miserably. His journey was one last week of regret, remorse, repentance, restoration, and revival in his life, getting ready for what taking place down the road for him planting, birthing of the church. Now, most of the people we look at in this series will be people who, when they encountered the risen Christ, they were changed, not just the empty tomb. Most of the early witnesses came to faith in Christ, not because of just the tomb, but about how they encountered that resurrected Lord when they knew he was alive. But as we'll see today, John, our character today, was a very different, he was an exception to this rule. John came to believe in the resurrection after he visited the empty tomb. John's story has a little different twist to it from the others that we'll look at. Here's the key. What John did not see and what he actually saw in the tomb moved him to believe in the resurrection. So two things are happening at one time. It's what he did not see and also what he saw that made him believe in the resurrection of Christ. In John 20, as we've already heard read wonderfully by Carly, Mary has come. She expects the sealed tomb but finds an empty tomb. She runs to the disciples. And she tells them Peter and John come off running for the tomb, and they actually do see the empty tomb. Now we read there, John outruns Peter to the tomb. I do not think that's because he's more eager. I think there was an age scenario, whatever it was. It wasn't because John wanted it more. It's just because he outran him. I believe he was younger. He had more life in him. It wasn't because of eagerness or desire. They get there, and John is very, John's a sort of standoff, evaluate kind of guy. He stands back. He stoops down and looks in, and he sees the strips, the linen claws lying in the tomb. Peter comes behind him, and I can picture Peter's running right by him, and Peter goes rushing into the tomb, and he sees the linen claws. He sees the evidence there in the tomb. And in this encounter, there's a couple of key words and phrases I want us to capture in our thoughts today. Two key phrases and words that will jump off the page at us to really relay the message of what John's experience was like. Those two words, if you write them down, are the words saw and believe. Saw and believe. The first word is saw. It says here that Peter and John saw. But what did they actually, what was it that they saw? What did they see? In what they saw, were they seeing the same thing in the same way? Peter and John are here. Peter goes in first. John says, yeah, they're in there. It's empty. Peter goes in and says, yep, there they are. It's empty. But in what they saw, were they seeing the same thing? Mary goes, runs to the tomb. She saw the stone rolled away. 
And I've highlighted this word in my Bible in different colors, the word saw, how many times it appears in this passage. In verse 5 it says, stooping down, John saw the linen claws. Line there, we did not go in. In verse 6 it says, Peter entered the tomb and saw the linen claws lying there. Then in verse 8, John, the other disciple who reached the tomb first, then also went in, he saw and believed. Saw and believe are two key words to process John's journey in this resurrection story. There are three words in the Greek used here for our one word of the word saw. The word for when Mary saw the stone rolled away from the tomb's mouth, that was a word that means this, a general and basic word that means just simply viewing or seeing and nothing beyond just acknowledgement of what you're seeing. She says, the tomb is disturbed, the stone is rolled away, it is empty. That's why she didn't go in, she goes off running. A basic word says, I acknowledge I'm seeing a stone rolled away from the mouth of the tomb. The first word. But the Greek word used to describe how Peter saw the tomb's contents inside the tomb is a word that means to reason or theorize or to ponder. In other words, they get there. Yes, the tomb is empty. Yes, the stone's rolled away. Peter goes in and he begins to reason and theorize and ponder. He begins to put together theories of what he's looking at. He's going deeper than just a glance. He's beginning to process, putting together hypotheses of what has taken place in this account he's looking at. He knew that what he was looking at was very unusual and very significant. So he goes a step further. But then when John finally goes inside the tomb, the word used for here in saw the linen claws goes a step further. When John saw, he moved from acknowledgement of what he was looking at to theorizing what he was seeing, and then quickly to perceiving and understanding what he was seeing. John went through three phases in this word saw in his journey right here at the tomb. What is it that Peter and John saw? Now it says right here, and I've highlighted this in my Bible, every time it says they saw for Peter and John, they saw what? Look at the verse. They went and they saw the linen cloths. They're very familiar with these claws, these strips of linen that were wrapped around a body for burial. That's how they buried people. But why do these linen claws of Jesus raise such curiosity among them? It's, it says, first of all, these linen claws, these strips of linen were lying there. That word for lying there means to be arranged in an orderly way. This captures their attention. Peter Second phase, John, third phase, to actually saying this is, this is legit. The claws had not been torn to shreds, nor were they in an unraveled heap. They were lying there in an orderly way. Then it says the head wrapping around Christ's head was not thrown aside nor in a pile. The head wrapping was neatly folded in a separate place by itself. So why did these sites of what they saw provoked them to process deeper, to ponder, to think through theories of how and why this happened. You see, dead bodies for them in this day were not dressed in your finest clothes. They didn't go to their closet, pick out their best suit or their favorite dress. That's not how they buried people. They would take them and think of mummies. They would take people, wrap them in linen cloths, dipped in herbs and spices for burial processes, wrapped them tightly with their arms up. Think of mummies. This is what they knew of their culture. This was the burial process. That's why 
on that Friday, they go to the tomb and they began the process, but they cut it short because of the Passover coming up. They were pro properly preparing Jesus' body for burial. So here they were. They, they knew this about them, and that's why we got to capture another thought. This mummified place that Jesus was in, just like all the bodies back then, we got to remember Lazarus. That story, remember that story of Lazarus being raised from the dead? What was Christ's words when Lazarus came out of the grave? He says, Unwrap him and let him go. He's basically saying, You know what? Rat Lazarus could not have ripped those linen claws off of himself without help. Somebody had to help with this process. So Peter and John saw what they saw made no sense. And here's why they said, why would these linen claws wrapping Jesus' body be neatly folded up and not in a piled heap or ripped to shreds? Why is that cloth on his head folded up neatly in a, in a place by itself? Here's where they go. If enemies had stolen the body, why would they have removed the grave clothes at all since the body would have begun to decay? That make a bit of sense. If friends had stolen the body, why would they have shown such disrespect by disrobing him and carrying him out naked to the world. They wouldn't have done that. If Jesus had re revived himself, why wouldn't the linen claws, these strips, as impossible as it might have been, have been ripped and shredded and just in a pile? And on top of that, all of that, how could a seriously wounded, barely alive man been able to take, off, take them off at all? And also, even if he had done it, why would he have taken time to calmly and neatly fold them into a place like he did? And they're like, something's not clicking here. Something's not working. I know what we're seeing here. We're theorizing. And again, the theories point to something deeper. In a very methodical way, slowly but surely, every explanation beyond simply the supernatural had been eliminated. John had deduced and deduced and deduced some more. And the only logical explanation is something supernatural has taken place. What supernatural events taken place? It's like the character Sherlock Holmes in the movies would say, when you've eliminated the impossible, whatever remains, however improbable, must be the truth. John process, just like he says, there's, it's something deeper here. I think I know what it is. I know what it is. The text tells us that John came to the improbable conclusion that Christ had been raised from the dead before Peter and Mary actually did. And there's a little bit more added to how John responded. Look at verse 8 again. It says, the other disciple, being John, who had reached the tomb first, then also he went in. First he says, yeah, it's empty. They're there. Here it is. He goes in and sees it up close and personal. It says he saw and believed. Notice it says he saw and believed. As I mentioned a moment ago, that word used for the fact that John saw is a word that means to perceive and understand. From perceiving and understanding, it goes a step further to say that John believed. And there's our second word. Saw and believe. Believe is the second word. In the Gospel of John, the word for belief is not merely intellectual assent. That's not the point of John's word. In John's gospel, belief is heart faith that brings salvation. So faith is more than intellectual reasoning and assent. It is more than looking at evidence, working it all out. 
See, faith does include the mind. John becomes the very first person to believe that Jesus is raised from the dead. He was very open to the evidence. He worked it all out rashly, intellectually, but he did not keep it there at that intellectual level. John did not just conclude that Christ had risen from the grave. Here's the catch. It says he saw and believed. John was willing to base his very life on this. And that is why it says the phrase he saw and believed. See, John is all about believing. Read his gospel. In John's gospel, when you read the word believe, John describes his own coming to believe so that we will be challenged and encouraged to believe as well. He said, here's how I came to it. Here's what happened to me. Here's my testimony. He is not writing to simply inform us, nor to intrigue us, nor to just inspire us. He's not a life coach. He's pointing us to Jesus. He is writing because he wants us to believe, to come to know Jesus as our Savior and our Lord. And that is the challenge for us today. You see, you can't just intellectually agree with the fact that Christ died on the cross for your sin. Intellectually agree that the fact that he died on the cross, rose from the dead, conquering the grave. You have to know he rose again, yes, and base your life on that fact. Accept his invitation to you. That's what John is stressing. I saw and believed. It changed for me. It changed my life forever. I put my life on this fact, and I share that with you. It's like the story of the famous tightrope walker who had impressed the crowd on his tightrope, hung spinning way up in the sky. He walked back and forth multiple times on this high rope, drew attention, drew a crowd. Everybody was in, mesmerized. He stops each lunch in the middle of the tightrope. He walks over with multiple things suspended in the air, showing his dexterity, rides a bicycle, does everything he can think of. He takes a wheelbarrow across, and everybody is just so amazed. And this tightrope walker asks the crowd, do you believe I can carry 200 pounds in this wheelbarrow across this wire? What did everybody say after seeing all this? Yeah, we believe, yeah, yeah. He says, who will volunteer to get in a wheelbarrow? Guess how many hands went up? Like in here, not a one. Yeah, I believe it. I'm not waste my life on that. Are you crazy? They believed in a fact because the evidence was strong. He could do it. They would not trust to place their lives on it. John reasoned his way to a rational belief that Christ had risen from the dead. Then in a sense, John got in a wheelbarrow. He said, I will base my life on this. I saw and I believed. He transferred his faith into what he had seen, what he had seen and heard. What's so interesting is John came to a genuine saving faith before he actually met and seen, had seen the risen Christ. Most of the other disciples required an actual, literal sight of Christ. But as it says here, there at the empty tomb, John not only saw, but he saw and believed. Now, i got to be honest. I'm going to be very transparent. In studying this time around in this passage I've done multiple times, this one, I wrestled with this. I struggled through this passage at a moment when I was studying. And, but in transparency, I want to say this. I think it's critical every time we wrestle. Wrestling with God's Word is good. Wrestling with where we're at is good. But I kept my wrestling confined to God's Word. 
kept my wrestling in saying, God, show me what you need to show me. Tell me what I need to be told so I can walk away knowing what I need to know. I didn't wander out here. I stayed right here. And I was a little bit, I was wrestling. I was stumped. And what stumped me was what I wrestled with is in verse 9. It says he saw and believed. And in verse 9, what does it say? But they did not yet understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. And I, rest, I wrestled with that. I was going, so does this mean that he just, when he believed, it's like, was he believing what Mary said, the tomb was empty, or did he believe further? And then I began digging into the words, the depth of the words, the process that took place. And then a word jumped off the page at me. It says, for they did not, what's that word? Three-letter word. For they did not yet, key word, they did not yet understand the Scriptures. That's a key word. This beginning of John's faith journey was grounded totally in what he had seen and not seen in that empty tomb. That was enough to begin that journey. Generally, the very first Christians did not believe in the resurrection only because the tomb was empty, because they saw and met the resurrected Christ. John was something of an exception. He believed by seeing the empty tomb before meeting the resurrected Christ. John believed. Yes, he believed. It's obvious the tomb is empty. Mary's testimony. He believed that she came back and said he's alive. She, he began processing that, running through the tomb. John saw enough in the empty tomb to know that something miraculous had happened. And the miracle was Christ had risen. And here's the key. Here's where he jumped, jumped off the page to me. The fact that he did not know the prophecies at this point or connect the dots did not interfere with him believing right there in the empty tomb that Jesus had resurrected and was alive. He had not yet connected all the dots with all the prophecies and the scriptures yet, but he eventually did. He's writing this to us as a testimony of what took place. John did not pause at the tomb and say, let me write this down. John wrote it down later for us to have a record of what he experienced. Let me ask you this. It's the same thing with you and me. Same thing. I came to Christ very early, like eight and a half years old. You might have come to Christ early or late. I don't know. But if you come to Christ, how many of you would say you came to Christ and all your questions were answered at that very moment you came to Jesus? If you shake your head yes, please let me interview you because you're an anomaly in my eyes. You're different than anybody I've ever run into. I did not come to Jesus with all my questions answered. Here's how I came to Jesus. I knew that he died in my place on the cross for my sin, and he is resurrected from the grave, victory over the grave and death, ascended back to the Father. He is my Savior and Lord, and he loves me with everything in me, and therefore I put my trust and my faith in him. Did I know everything about Isaiah 53? No. Did I know Psalm 22, the prophecies there, or Joel, or any of those? No. But that did not stop me from knowing Jesus is my Savior and Lord. I learned those later. If I had to know all that before I come to Christ, I might not be there yet. But here's what I know. Jesus died in my place on the cross, my sin. He resurrected from the grave. He is my Savior. He is my Lord. He loves me with all of his heart, and I love him, and I accept him as my Savior and Lord. And here comes the growth. John was saying, at that point, I didn't know it yet. But I eventually did. I then put it together. So what I wrestled with, what I struggled with, 
finally came into perspective when I said, God, to look at your own life. Look at how you come to me. Look at your own journey. John is saying, I did come to believe in the resurrected Christ that day. But it was later that I put his resurrection together with the prophecies and the scriptures. At this point, he believed and was persuaded by the fact of the resurrection. But since they didn't really know the scriptures, they didn't know the full meaning of it yet. But you've got to understand, John was not looking at this. He was looking at the prophets. He was looking at the first five books, the Pentateuch, Genesis and Deuteronomy. He was looking at the prophets. He's saying those prophecies back then didn't quite connect all the dots, but I knew that Christ had resurrected. I knew he was Savior and Lord at that moment. By the time John writes this, the church had put together the details of all these prophecies of the Old Testament to, about Christ's life, ministry, death, and resurrection. Later, he put it all together. This, to me, right here in John's journey, was where John and Peter would have been in the early church birthing, where you see, by the way, I said that changed lives, giving the greatest testimony. Peter and John came out of the gate boldly after the resurrection, after Christ's ascension, boldly proclaiming Christ. And they get in trouble with the Sanhedrin in Acts chapter 4. And they didn't go to all the prophecies. They go to this. What did they say in Acts 4? They said, whether it's right in the sight of God for us to listen to you or rather than to God, you decide. What they say? For we are unable to stop speaking about what we have seen and what we have heard. This is John, what he had seen, what he saw in that empty tomb, and what he didn't see in that tomb that proved this. This week in our Connect groups, we're going to go a little bit deeper into 1 John, John's writings about this. And in John's writings in 1 John, because of what he experienced at the tomb, the resurrected Christ, he wrote about that in 1 John, and he uses a couple of key words. He says, I'm writing to you what I've heard, what I have seen, what I have observed, and what I have touched. In 1 John, he says, what was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have observed with and touched with our hands, concerning the word of life, that life was revealed, and we have seen it, and we testify and declare to you the eternal life that was with the Father and was revealed to us. At the tomb, when John writes, he's writing about what he has seen and observed and touched and heard. That tomb started that journey for him to do this. See, the resurrection proves that though it looked like Christ died on the cross as a common criminal, he actually died a sinless man. That's what it proves. He died out of love and self-sacrifice to bear the guilt of our sin. And here's the deal. The death of Jesus on the cross was the payment for sin. I'll give you an analogy. The resurrection is the receipt showing the payment was perfect in the sight of God the Father. Go to any store and have it have that nightmare happen to you where you don't know the buzzer things on your, your product you bought and it starts buzzing at you, you go out the door thinking you stole something. You ever had that happen to you? You're panicked like, oh, Lord. What they ask you for? Can you show me your receipt? Leave Sam's Club. They're going to check that receipt with what's in the buggy. They want to see proof that you have purchased what you have in your possession. When I come to know Jesus, I receive his payment for me on the cross. The resurrection is that receipt saying, this is legit. This is for real. This actually happened. John would tell you, I had the receipt in my hand 
at the tomb, I knew he was alive. And that began a journey that changed my life forever. And Jesus insists himself that people can receive a transforming faith without seeing him face to face like that physical way like they did. He's, what does he say in John preview for next week, 2029? What does he say? Jesus said, because you've seen me, you believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. We're the ones of the yets. We have not seen, but yet we believe. We come to faith because we know what he's done here and here. We reason, we believe all of this. Right here, John is a model for all of us. This can take place. So can it happen for us as well. So can we. Just like John, so can we. What does Hebrews 11 say about faith? Faith's reality of what it's hoped for, the proof of what is not seen. Just base it on the facts, the proof. John says, that changed my life on a trajectory forever. He said, in one sense, a tomb was very empty that day. But in another sense, it wasn't empty. In what John saw and what he did not see in the tomb, there was enough proof for him to believe. And it can be for us too. Where are you at? Have you ever once said, this thing's legitimate? I trust this. I believe this. I know this in my heart. You might say, oh, yeah. Have you begun that journey? Say, yeah, he did resurrect from the grave. Yes, he is Savior. Have you transferred it here to say, I want you in my life. Come be my Savior, my Lord. Have you ever had that done? Has it changed your life? Where you say, well, like John, I saw and I believed. Change it. If you've not done that in your life, why not? If you're not growing past that point of knowing Jesus, why not? John said, not yet. But it was not an excuse to never know it. He said, just not yet. He did later. I will promise you this. If you will trust Jesus, it will change your life forever. Like it did John's. He goes on and says, I can't but help but testify about what I've seen and heard. It changed your life that way. As we stand out to sing and to worship again, just bow yourself before God. Let God change your hearts. Let God speak to your hearts as only He can. We're going to begin a journey on Friday night that walks us through the weekend of the crucifixion of Christ. Then briefly on Friday evening for that, to, you can't get to Easter until you get through the crucifixion. That's what makes Good Friday Good Friday. Next Sunday morning, we're going to hear some rattling of some bones. Open the grave, I'm coming out. This is the sound of dry bones. I'm going to rattle in this place. I want you to celebrate with us, be able to celebrate. Let's stand together and worship. Father, as we bow in your presence, the amazing encounter that John, Peter, Mary, all the other ones had at the tomb radically changed their lives forever. I pray it's changed our lives forever, that we would testify to what we've seen and what we've heard. We would see and believe. May it change us in that way like it has them. May our lives be wrecked by the gospel, totally wrecked by the resurrection. We love you. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for tuning in to this week's sermon. For more information about Summit Community Church, please check out our website at summitchurch.me or on social media on Facebook or Instagram. 
at SCC Mortgage Center.